BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to Dr. Gina Prime Time. Great to be with you tonight. You've been hearing about the lawsuit brought by the state of Texas to the Supreme Court of the United States, and uh, it's exactly what was needed to cut through all of the BS and get right down to the heart of the matter, in my opinion. This lawsuit lays out how the voting rights of every American were violated. It's not just the Trump voters. It's every American. Every Biden voter and every Trump voter had their votes rendered null and void. Every person who went out to vote legally, every person who voted legally by mail, we all believed that our vote counted. In the United States, whether our candidate wins or loses, our vote is sacred and every single vote counts, but not this time. And that is what this lawsuit lays out perfectly. Politicians and bureaucrats in the states of Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin used COVID as an excuse to change their election rules without involving their state legislatures. And the Constitution specifically says the legislature of each state sets the rules for voting. Not election officials, not governors with an executive orders, only state legislatures. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton said it like this. If other states don't follow the Constitution, it affects my state. That's the issue. It does. It affects every state, every voter in every state. But it's not just the last-minute changing of election law that was the problem. There are more breaches to our voting rights that I wish could be addressed in this lawsuit or another lawsuit before the Supreme Court. The fraud must be addressed. It's not enough to only address the unconstitutional changing of election rules. I am angry, and tens of millions of people out there are angry, and they should be. They're afraid their vote didn't count. They're angry and afraid that their hard work didn't count. Driving their friends and families to the polls didn't count. Knocking on doors didn't count. Working phone banks didn't count. Because in the dark of the night, Democrat criminals ran suitcases full of fraudulent ballots through vote-counting machines. We have security footage of that happening in Atlanta and flipping the results of entire states to Biden. And you know a thief is never caught the first time. So if we have video footage of this, what occurred that we don't have video footage of? But it's no wonder Obama lost Georgia twice and Hillary lost the state four years ago. They didn't have suitcases full of fake ballots in Atlanta like Joe Biden did. Trump won by five points in 2016, and we're supposed to believe that Georgia suddenly and mysteriously flipped to become a Democrat state. Even the biggest losers, Romney and McCain, beat Obama in those states. Did anyone stop to wonder why Joe Biden didn't even leave his basement to campaign? Do you wonder why the Biden campaign made so little effort to even contact voters? Suddenly it all makes sense, and I tweeted that election morning. You don't have to campaign when you fake ballots printed up and you have them all ready to go. You don't have to campaign when dead people are voting for you and you know it ahead of time. Don't forget, Joe Biden even said that. 
Voters like me worked so hard in our home states, and I know you did too. Here in Florida, I did fundraising for the Trump campaign. I asked people to donate their hard-earned dollars so that Trump campaign could turn out voters for the president. Are we supposed to tell all those donors that their money was just wasted? My family went out and knocked on doors and contacted voters directly. We worked hard on every single vote, putting up yard signs, passing out flyers, standing on street corners, waving signs. Are we supposed to accept that every moment that we worked was for nothing just because some states decided not to mind their, their elections? In Florida, all the hard work and every dollar paid off. The president won a million more votes this year than he did four years ago. Let that sink in. In one state, here in Florida where I sit now, the president got a million more votes in 2020 than he did in 2016. That's 4.6 million in 2016, up to 5.6 million votes for Trump in 2020. The election wasn't even close in Florida. It was supposed to be, remember? But Trump destroyed Biden here. But those million more people who came out to vote for the president in Florida had their votes completely canceled by other states who held fraudulent elections as if we are living in a third world banana republic. I don't want to hear ever again that yes, there was fraud, but it wasn't enough to overturn an election so it isn't worth looking into. That is a lie. Two obvious questions arise. How do you know there isn't enough fraud to flip the election if you don't look into it? Every fraudulent vote is worth investigating no matter whether or not the election can be overturned. And that goes for both sides. Vote fraud is a crime. And it's time that these criminals started seeing the inside of a jail cell. And we can start with those caught on camera running fraudulent ballots through counting machines in Atlanta. Start right there with those folks. And before I start throwing things, it's probably time we take a little trip around the world. First, to Carrie Sheffield in our D.C. studios, where she has a report on non-citizens voting in this election. Carrie, take me away. Hey there, Dr. Gina. Yes, want to let you know about my latest piece at JustTheNews.com. I looked at this issue of non-citizens voting in U.S. elections. Now, a growing number of people want to know just how widespread was this. This is both immigrants who are legal and illegal immigrants, but they are both non-citizens. And when if you're not a citizen, it is illegal for you to vote. Now, Harvard University has asked, had surveys um, showing that up to 9%, and some other surveys have shown 9, 10, sometimes 15 15% of non-citizen immigrants say that they have voted. Um, and so when you look down and dig into that numbers, that could be two, three million people um, if these surveys are correct. And so I spoke with Mo Brooks, the congressman, who says he plans to challenge the Electoral College in January. He said he thinks that the election was thrown to Joe Biden because of this voting block. Um, I, also spoke, I also spoke to Ken Paxton, who's the attorney general of Texas. Um, he said that this could have had some impact on the election, and he said this is something that the secretaries of state should really be looking at um, and comparing the voter rolls to see who is actually a citizen and who has the right to vote. Um, and he said that the voter ID plan that the president has is just a common sense proposal. Um, and the president had a task force with Mike Pence uh, in it that was set up in 2017 to look at this question of voter fraud. Uh, the commission really didn't come up with much in terms of enforcement, and it could be now coming back uh, to bite them. So uh, we'll keep track this, of course, at justthenews.com. Back to you. Thanks, Carrie. Another great place to start. Now over to Jerusalem, where Gal Kalev has a report on the wild elections happening there. Go ahead, Gal. 
Thank you, Dr. Gina. You know, the United States is not the only place where you have elections and political problems. Israel is apparently going into its fourth election in a two-year period. This is due to disagreements in Netanyahu's governing coalition. The interesting thing about this upcoming election is that normally elections are between the right and the left. In this election, according to the polls, the main challenge in Netanyahu is coming from the right. Naftali Bennett, a protege of Netanyahu, former defense minister, has formed a party called Yamina, which means to the right. And this really marks a long-term shift in Israeli electorate from the left to the right. It used to be that the Labour Party of the left would control Israeli politics. That's certainly no longer the case today. Bennett doesn't only attract right-wing voters, he also attracts those cadre of centrist voters that tend to vote for whoever has the best chance of defeating Netanyahu. I guess you can call them the never-bebes. So looks like we're going to have elections in early 2021. Of course, a lot could happen between now and then, uh, but it's going to be a few interesting political months here in Israel. It's always interesting in Jerusalem. Back to you, Gina. Thanks so much, Gal. Now I want to go over to Jessica Rivera in our Denver headquarters. Jessica, what do you have for us tonight? Well, Dr. Gina, December 8th was yesterday, and it was Safe Harbor Day, and I know you made mention of it on your show yesterday. It's the legal deadline for Congress to count the electoral votes from all 50 states and the District of Columbia in order for them to be protected from lawsuits. The law comes from the Electoral Vote Act of 1877, which prohibits the challenge in Congress of state electors certified by the state. And it's six days before the Electoral College meets to vote for president on December 14th, which is next Monday. But as we all know, if there ever was a contested U.S. presidential election, this is it. Currently, President Trump and his legal team are contesting six states. They're Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Minnesota, Nevada, and Wisconsin. Any state not certified by yesterday still had until next Monday, December 14th, uh, but they wouldn't be able to claim protection under the safe harbor law. But as of now, all 50 states and the District of Columbia have been certified. Dr. Gina, even though yesterday was a very important day, there are still the next important days we have to keep track of, and that is next Monday, December 14th, is Electoral College Day. This is when all electors will vote for president and vice president. Sunday, January 3rd, the new Congress convenes and is sworn in. Wednesday, January 6th, Congress counts electoral votes and they get an official winner for president. If there's no official winner called this day, Monday, January 11th is considered somewhat like overtime. This is when Congress meets once again to count electoral votes for an official winner. If they don't come up with one then, uh, then the 12th Amendment goes into play, which is the House picks the president and the Senate picks the vice president. Then finally, Wednesday, January 20th is Inauguration Day. So there's still a ways to go. As a matter of fact, Texas, obviously, like you just were uh, talking, which you will talk about later in your show, uh, just filed a lawsuit in the Supreme Court yesterday. And from the looks of it, we may just see the 12th Amendment used for only the second time in our nation's history. The first and last time was in 1825. Wow, some very important dates there. How does the 12th Amendment work exactly, if you'd explain that again to our viewers and listeners? And uh, what would that look like this election, Jessica? Well, Dr. Gina, to become an official winner for president, the electors uh, votes, they have to total at least 270 for one candidate. If that is not achieved, the 12th Amendment gives each state one vote for president in the House. 
But in this process, the District of Columbia, D.C., does not get a vote because they're not a state. So there are only 50 votes and the majority wins. Winner needs 26 votes. In the Senate, each senator gets a vote, again, without D.C., totaling 100 votes, and majority wins. Winner needs 51 votes. But here's a caveat to this process. Even though Democrats hold the power in the House, there currently are 27 Republican states. So odds have it, President Trump would more than likely prevail in this scenario. Very interesting. Thank you so much, Jessica. We always appreciate your commentary. For sure. Thank you, Dr. Gina. Coming up, the statistics guru from the Trump campaign, Steve Cortez, says there's no way that Biden legitimately won this election. He's coming up next. More Dr. Gina primetime right after this. Stick around. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back to Dr. Gina Primetime. Now, if you've been anywhere on social media recently, you've seen some great videos from Steve Cortez breaking down the very irregular numbers from this election. There's a lot that just doesn't make sense, and Steve Cortez happens to be with us right now. Steve, you've done some great statistical analysis that you shared on social media. Looking at the numbers that are publicly available, you show how there is literally mathematically no way that joe biden won this election without fraud and in my home state here in florida now president trump got a million more votes in 2020 than he did in 2016. 5.6 million votes this year and that's up from 4.6 million votes in 2016. right across the border in georgia we're supposed to somehow magically believe that biden right. somehow won a state that obama lost twice, Steve, and Hillary lost by five points in 2016. Now, what else can you use to highlight the obvious fraud that occurred enough to make not just the Democrats, not just the media, but the rhinos, the establishment, deep state Republicans understand and stop singing the same tune that there is no widespread evidence of fraud? Right. You know, Gina, you, you bring up really important points. And by the way, in the state of Florida, where I believe the election was clean, was well run, a place that was used to large scale mail in voting, a place that had the votes tallied within hours. Imagine that in the United States of America, we can actually have results on election night. And the president won by almost 400,000 votes in a state that all the pollsters told us was going to be razor tight. Well, it wasn't in the end. But to answer your question about the statistical irregularities, to, to put it nicely, uh, the when you take Take a, I believe this. When you take a cold look at the improbabilities that line up one after another after another for Joe Biden to have allegedly won, it becomes improbable to the point of being impossible. And I will tell you, Gina, when I was watching the returns come in on election night, I was at Trump campaign headquarters in Arlington, Virginia, outside the nation's capital. And of course, like many Americans, we were thrilled with the early returns um, as the night wore on, as we got into the early morning hours, we were still thrilled. And then, of course, everything changed as the vote stopped. That, that's, I think, by the way, one of the, one of the first alarm bells uh, that should really uh, uh, throw caution to anybody who's being reasonable of this election is that these states stopped counting. 
without explanation. Uh, to this day, there's still no reasonable explanation why these states in question stopped counting. And then when they restarted, uh, they brought in batches of votes that were so significantly tilted to Joe Biden as to be statistically not just improbable, but impossible. To get specific numbers for you, by the way, on Georgia, which, as you mentioned, is a state that in many ways is similar to its neighbor, Florida. In Georgia, for example, we know that there was no serious vetting of mail-in votes, meaning there was no verification, there was no validation. And that's not my opinion. The numbers show us that. Because in Georgia, only 0.24% of all mail-in ballots, millions of mail-in ballots, were rejected in the state of Georgia. If we compare that to, uh, to 2016, 3% of all ballots were rejected, which is more in line with national averages, particularly for first-time mail-in folks. The fact that the volume of mail-in votes exploded this time in the state of Georgia, and yet the percentage rejected plummeted, went to nearly zero. It was literally one-twelfth the level of where it was in 2016, tells us that there was no verification. There was no validation. There was no vetting of these votes. And I think, unfortunately, in a lot of states, maybe not so much Georgia, but in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, uh, that lack of, of validation and verification was by design, Gina. In other words, those governors knew they would inundate the system and they intended to do so, so that they could flood it with any manner of ballots that were not valid and legal. Before I go to my next question, it's important for me to clarify as president of programming at this network that we have opinion shows and we have news shows. My show is an opinion show. And I want to say, uh, because my next question is important, that my family went and knocked on doors. I asked people to give their money and I asked people to give their time to the Trump campaign. And we did things right in Florida. I worked hard um, in the 2016 election, recounting votes in Florida. Um, we counted votes and we declared Trump the clear winner by a large margin this year on election Night. But other states kept finding votes for days, some in suitcases, under tables, Steve, some in trucks being driven from New York to Pennsylvania. But we did it the old-fashioned way. We got real people to cast real ballots for President Donald J. Trump here in Florida. This is more than about just this election. I don't know. As a person who loves free and fair elections, even when Democrats win, I will add, I don't know how we ever ask people to work or to donate or to run for office or to vote ever again, Steve, if we don't make sure that this election is righted. Right. Gina, that's such an important point, and it's one of the reasons that we have to keep fighting. Even if we can't prevail, and I believe that we can, okay, I believe that the president won the legal vote, and I believe that he will be sworn in on January 20th. But I'll also, I'm a realist, and I will admit that it's an uphill battle. But even if we can't prevail in this battle, we must have this fight. We must engage for exactly the reasons that you're talking about. Number one, we owe it to the American people to do so because we know uh, that there was fraud in this election. We also know even outside of the fraud that there are massive constitutional issues here uh, that need to be considered because equal protection was violated. There were two classes of voters created in many of these states who acted unconstitutionally and illegally, particularly their governors and secretaries of state in places like Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. So we have to engage in this fight, and we have to engage in it also to make certain, to your point, Gina, that this never happens again. This can't happen in 2022. It can't happen in 2024. In my view, we need to actually go back to the future, meaning we need to go back to paper ballots. I think paper, old-fashioned paper ballots make the most sense. I also believe we need to go back to mail-in voting only, in my opinion. I'm not speaking now on behalf of the campaign. This is just Steve Cortez. Uh, but mail-in balloting 
or absentee balloting only with a valid excuse. If there's a real reason, you're deployed overseas in the military, of course, or you're ill and you simply can't make it to the polls. Uh, but I think the default should be in-person voting where you prevent several levels of verification. Number one, your, your person, your body. Number two, identification. Number three, a signature. I think on top of that, paper ballots make a lot of sense. I don't often say we should do things like they do it in Canada, but in this case, I think Canada, our neighbors to the north, have it right. Um, and so we, we need to clean this up so that our citizens believe in this democracy, because a lot of them don't right now. And again, too, if you have grave doubts about this election, as I do, and as certainly as Gina does, you know, I would say to the audience out there, please know that you're not alone. Corporate media wants you to believe that, that you're some sort of conspiracist kook if you've got grave doubts about this election. Among Trump voters, polling is consistently showing us that around 70 percent of Trump voters do not believe these results. According to CNBC survey, only 3% of Trump voters believe that he should concede right now to Joe Biden. So we are not alone. The truth's on our side. And we're fighting not just for the truth in this election, but also for the legitimacy of future elections. I'm surprised it's that high, Steve, frankly. Um, I was at the Trump rally, covered it in uh, Georgia on Saturday, and the voters there, Steve, they were angry. They didn't go there to hear speeches from the senators. Uh, they went there to deliver a message to two senatorial candidates and really two Republicans across the country who think they're bigger than the president, who think that the party exists without this president. They wanted to say this party is this president. This president is this party, and without this president, there is no party. These grassroots activists are watching in slow motion as the presidential election is being stolen from them and they feel violated. They've seen the surveillance videos of fraudulent ballots being counted after Republican obser observers were cleared out on election night. They've heard witness after witness come forward to talk about the irregularities they saw and they are being asked to go back to vote again in less than a month in a Senate runoff now. Steve, will Le Kelly Loeffler and David per Perdue hold on to their seats in Georgia or what will come of this as we watch all of this distrust mount um, not right. just in the voting process but in candidates in general who are unwilling it seems to have the back of this president who has had the back of American of the American people now for five years yeah he sure has and it's, it's really shameful the way some Prominent Republicans are acting out there in the country. Governor Kemp, uh, Raffensperger in Georgia, they would be exhibit A and B, I think. Also Governor Ducey in Arizona. There are a lot of Republicans who I think mistakenly believe, Republican office holders, not voters, Republican office holders out there, who think that if Donald Trump is no longer president come January 20th, that the Republican Party is going to retreat back, that we're going to become the 2015 Republican Party of Mitt Romney and Paul Ryan. Well, I have news for them. That is not happening. We are an America first workers party. Donald Trump has absolutely transformed the Republican party. He has moved the center in America on a range of crucial issues, including things like China and trade and things that are so uh, systemically important to American workers. And we are not retreating. We are not going back, even if Donald Trump is not the president, as I believe he needs to be come January 20th. So a lot of these folks are really acting incredibly irresponsibly. I do worry that it will jeopardize uh, the races uh, in Georgia of Loeffler and Purdue. Now, look, I think they both need to be reelected. So I want to encourage the deplorables out there. Whatever reservations you have about Governor Kemp, about Ravensburger, I totally concur with you. But those two are not on the ballot. 
The Republicans do need to hold the Senate. It is critical for us, particularly if Joe Biden is able to complete the steal and able to be sworn in on January 20th. But I understand the frustration out there. But I would also uh, tell this, if I can message to the folks out there who are understandably frustrated, believe me, the president is every bit as frustrated as you are, and he is fighting. I got to spend some time with him on Monday in the Oval Office. He is every bit as mad as you are. We are fighting. He is fighting. The campaign's fighting. The legal team is fighting. We will continue to fight uh, because these principles are worth it, and our movement is not going anywhere. Steve Cortez, thank you so much for joining us here. Thanks for all you do. I've known you a long time, and uh, it's been an honor to fight alongside you, and we'll continue to do that one way or another. Thanks for being with us tonight. Thank you, Gina. Coming up, what can Republicans in Congress do to stop the steal? Congressman Louie Gohmert up next to tell us. Stick around. More Dr. Gina Primetime coming at you right after this. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to Dr. Gina Primetime. Always so glad you're with us. Now, millions of voters out there are pretty angry, myself included, actually. We are angry that there seems to be very few elected Republicans working hard to stop the steal. But down in Texas, there are quite a few who are stepping up to help the president. One of them is with me right now. His name is Congressman Louis Gohmert. Some know him as a superhero. Good to see you, Congressman Gohmert. Thank you so much for jogging up from the House floor to talk to us this evening. Congressman, your state stepping up to the plate uh, with this lawsuit from the Texas Attorney General. Uh, you are a great legal mind, as we all know. So I just have to ask you, do, is this our path to success? Well, hopefully it is. Uh, the thing that made this lawsuit more attractive, we were trying to get states to sign on and be a part of the original petition. Uh, but, uh, you know, Texas filed it by itself when nobody, when we couldn't get other states to get on. And uh, then once they're on, some really great conservative states uh, you know, a dear friend is Jeff Landry, the AG in Louisiana, uh, Wilson in South Carolina. Uh, as of just a few moments ago, uh, there has been an amicus curiae brief filed, a friend of the court brief filed, uh, which basically seconds the effort of the original filing state, in this case, Texas. And uh, Gina, I've got the, this right here, just hot off the press. Uh, the states that filed as friends of the court, which means really they're friends of the plaintiff, Texas, the states of Missouri, Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Montana, Nebraska, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Utah, and West Virginia. Now, when you, that's 17, 
you add that with Texas 18, it's nearly 40% of the states in the union. So that's a big deal when you have nearly 40% of the states that are engaged and filed and saying, you know, this is a case that the Supreme Court needs to take up. Now, the Constitution points out that uh, if a state sues another state or states, that the Supreme Court has original jurisdiction, meaning you can file that case directly in the Supreme Court. You don't have to go to the district court and then the Court of Appeals and then beg the Supreme Court. Unfortunately, um, the, the Supreme Court has said, even though we have original jurisdiction, you have to file what's called a motion for leave to file the petition so that was filed late last night, uh, just before midnight. And this, uh, this has been filed uh, this evening. And so uh, we will see what happens, but surely the Supreme Court will take jurisdiction over what they have original jurisdiction over. So it really, it comes down to them saying yes or no, they will or will not hear it. Obviously, there's some leverage in, as you said, basically 40% of the states um, signing on to this as, as friends or seconds of the brief, as you explained. Um, it's interesting to me because I didn't realize you had approached uh, many of those states or all of those states prior to this. I want to ask you, Congressman, if you think, I was at the rally on Saturday and uh, I heard when the senators were standing up there speaking and I heard uh, the crowd erupt and talk over um, these U.S. Senate candidates saying fight for Trump. And that crowd was having none of, none of a speech from anyone. They do not want to hear from Republicans sending a clear message to Republicans. You are nothing without, without President Trump at your helm. Mm -hmm. There is no Republican Party. That's the message I heard from that crowd that day. Did that message resonate, Congressman? And is that part of the reason, do you think, that you had um, this this joining later of some of these states. Yeah, I came just came from the House floor, Gina, and uh, I was telling people about being there at that rally and how the message was really clear. They didn't want to hear a speech. They just wanted the two Senate candidates to understand. Look, if we're going to reelect you, you have got to fight for Trump fight for Trump. They kept repeating it, and they weren't going to be listening to speeches uh, from the Senate candidates. They oh. wanted to make sure the Senate candidates heard their speech, and it was three words, fight for Trump. So I'm hoping yeah. that it, it well, and, and people, of course, I'm on the Republican side and talking to other Republicans, but making that point, uh, this is about Trump. This is about, and the reason it is, and I believe this, Gina, if, if this election is allowed to be fraudulently placed in the camp of the Biden-Harris uh, ticket, when there was so much fraud, um, of just about every kind of election fraud you can utilize, 
they used it. Uh, if that, that if that's allowed to win and prevail, uh, these folks, some in the Senate, some other places, that are trying to outmoderate the other Republicans so that they think they will be good candidates for a 2024 presidential ticket on the Republican side, they're kidding themselves. Uh, this will be the last Republican president we'll ever have because uh, we have seen what the Democrats can do when they have strategic people in the Justice Department, like Comey and Strzok, Page, uh, Bruce Orr, other people, um, and also strategic people in the Intelligence Department and at the State Department and at the Department of Defense. Uh, but if you let them have all of those departments or agencies, I don't see any Republican having a chance to win national office uh, ever again. Um, not not unless it's way in the future, but I, I think by then we'll be such a staunch socialist nation that uh, no, no Republican's gonna win. People need to understand that. This is really to me about all the marbles. Either we set things straight so that we can have a fair and constitutional conclusion to this election, or I'm not sure that we ever get back to having fair elections again. But Congressman, I mean, do you really think that conservatives would stand for that for one second? Do you really think uh, once the, the, you know, the, the fines on folks who own certain guns and the registering and confiscation of guns and the, um, you know, the, the expansion of the Supreme Court and the, uh, all of the things that they, the demolishment of the, uh, demolition of the uh, Electoral College and all of the rest of the things that the left has committed to doing, the New Green Deal that will destroy, uh, destroy us economically, all the rest of it. Do you really think that conservatives are going to sit down and wake up one day and go, oh, well, now we can never elect another Republican. Because I see people taking to the streets. I see, I mean, you, you, none of us want to use the word civil war because we are a peace-loving people, and yeah. it's true. And I think, right. I think President Trump really proved that he was a, a, a peaceful president. I mean, everyone said he's going to have us in a war the first month knowing he was a fighter and he would stand up to bullies. But he did exactly the opposite of that. He gave us a peacetime for four years. I, I just don't see Republicans being the kind of people that'll sit back and watch this country fall to socialism without one heck of a fight. Do you? Uh, I hope you're right. I know absolutely there will be some conservatives that will uh, stridently uh, use peaceful tactics to uh, affirm our belief in our constitutional rights. But uh, as, as I said in uh, addressing a, a massive crowd outside the Supreme Court recently, and of course some of the papers tried to say I, I wanted to start a revolution or civil war. I never said that. And in fact, uh, what I said is we need to take a page out of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s book, and that is that peaceful protests are the way to go. And But I also gave the example of uh, Egypt. You know, 
President Obama had helped uh, get uh, Morsi elected president, which you can debate, but in my opinion, he helped get him elected. He was a Muslim brother. Uh, he, uh, uh, I, I believe evidence is there. He wanted one day to see a caliphate uh, like the Ottoman Empire, possibly beyond. And when the Egyptian people saw him basically shredding their constitution, uh, out of 90 million people in Egypt, 30 million went peacefully to the streets to make clear, we don't want someone acting against our constitution. We want a constitutional president. They demanded his removal. Uh, there was some violence, but that was all started by the Muslim Brotherhood to try to make them look bad. It wasn't theirs. But through their peaceful protests, they had Morsi removed, and then they got to have a free and fair election. They had a new constitution, and it was even better and uh, more freedom. And that new constitution even said that if uh, churches were burned, the government would rebuild them. So it was a, a huge, uh, really dramatic move. Some say it was the largest peaceful uprising in the history of the world. But if they could have a third of their population rise up peacefully and demand you know, more constitutional action, then surely we could and would do that here. But I, I'm, I'm not d deluding myself. I know BLM, Antifa, some of these groups, like the ones that uh, Democratic groups that paid to have people go uh, engage in violence at the Trump campaign events back in 2016. I know you remember, but there were undercover uh, tape of Democrat leaders saying, yeah, we paid for these people to go start violence so we could blame it on Trump. Uh, I don't have any doubt that would happen again, but the people that are involved as conservatives would need to be peaceful. And uh, just like Dr. King found, um, as an ordained Christian minister faithful to his beliefs, things got done, but it took going to the streets. I know there will be some that would, but I also know there's some in the House or Senate that claim to be uh, patriots, but whether they would go to the streets uh, peacefully, I don't know. Well, they you know, haven't shown any nice. indication that they would stand up that much for it. Yeah, I was going to say, it would be nice, Congressman, if our elected officials would stand for us in both parties uh, as strongly as the people are willing to stand and as strongly as you continue to stand for those that you represent. And uh, I just want to say that I know there are so many out there that appreciate the way you do take a stand when others don't have the courage to do so. Thank you for being with us tonight. Gina, thank you so much. Thanks for all your clarity. <laughs> Coming up, a Democrat representative is in hot water for threatening Trump supporters. You won't believe what she said, but we'll show you. Coming up right here on Dr. Gina Primetime. Stick around. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
Welcome back to Dr. Gina Prime Time. Breaking news out of Michigan. Republican leaders there have removed a Democrat representative from her committee. Um, that is after she made threats to Trump supporters. Democrat State Representative Cynthia Johnson from Detroit posted a video on Facebook saying that she had been threatened. And then she went on to threaten Trump supporters. You can't make this stuff up. Watch this. So this is just a warning to you Trumpers. Be careful. Walk lightly. We ain't playing with you. Enough of the shenanigans. Enough is enough. And for those of you who are soldiers, you know how to do it. Do it right. Be in order. Make them pay. Here with me now to discuss radio talk show host extraordinaire Andrea Kay. Andrea, as a Trump supporter, you know, at a certain point, do you almost just get used to threats like this, even by people who are supposed to have it all together, elected types? Well, I don't know that I've seen one quite this bold. And, you know, and when you step back, when you stop, sit back for a second, you stop giggling over the, you know, Dr. Evil impersonation initially, uh, then you realize, wait a second, we actually have a, an elected Democrat official literally calling upon some soldiers that are supposedly out there to, um, to get violent against Trump supporters simply for having a, a different opinion than her. And it's actually incredibly disturbing and incredibly frightening. Um, and I've got, to, I've got to wonder, where are the Democrats speaking out against this? Because it, it, it didn't we hear in the Black Lives Matter movement, Dr. Gina, silence is violence? So I have to assume, because we haven't heard from Joe Biden speaking out against this or the Democrat Party, that they're complicit in this in, incitement of violence. And then i got to wonder, where is Christopher Ray, Dr. Gina? Didn't he send like 39 agents to a, to a NASCAR uh, to, to investigate a door pull? And didn't they send multiple agents to investigate a fender bender around the Harris-Biden bus? Where's the FBI? Because this is serious and should be investigated. Serious and should be investigated. Um, Andrea, I have to ask you about Congressman Eric Swalwell also. He got a little cozy, <laughs> let's just say, putting it uh, politely, with a Chinese spy. And that's pretty ironic, considering that he has been calling President Trump a Russian mm -hmm. agent for oh, over four years now. And our friends over at Media Research Center kept track of some of Swalwell's uh, greatest hits, let's just say. And I want to watch them now and get your reaction. The question has shifted uh, from whether the president is working with the Russians to what evidence exists uh, that the president is not working uh, with the Russians. You're a member of the judiciary. Do you believe the president right now has been an agent of the Russians? Yes, I, I think there's more evidence than he agent. is. Yes. What's We're dumb not, is that, is that really, so the every Republican president Congress who met with Russia is committing treason? Who went over to Helsinki, had a private meeting, agreed to turn over a U.S. ambassador to an enemy, and sided with them over our own intelligence committee. At what point do you draw a line and say, that's not a U.S. president, okay. that's just the prime minister of Russia defending the president of Russia? He's betrayed our country, and I don't, I don't say that lightly. I, I worked as a prosecutor for seven years, and I. But betraying the country, by the way, we want evidence before you yeah. say that. But you said an agent of Russia. Yeah, he, he works on their behalf. Wow. So, Andrea, by Swalwell's own logic, I guess his involvement with a Chinese spy means he is an agent of the Chinese government. I'm just doing the math, correct? 
Yeah, and um, by his own by his own standards, we should have a special special prosecutor. He should be immediately removed um, from his committee. He should be removed from his position in Congress, and there should be a special prosecutor investigating him. Right? Again, where's the FBI? Where's the DOJ here? And this is another story, kind of like the other congresswoman or or state legislator, to where and, you know there's a lot of people snickering and giggling over it at first, you know, because of this woman, this honeypot's name, Fang Fang, and uh, you know. But this is actually incredibly serious because we had four years, we had coup attempts, multiple coup attempts, where the United States government with an, a corrupt FBI and DOJ sought to overturn the will of the people under a false allegation by multiple people in Congress led by the chief propagandist Swalwell that President Trump and people in his campaign uh, were part of, were Putin's puppets and were a part of uh, coordinating with Russia to overturn, uh, to interfere with our election and overturn the government to the degree to where we had a, a general in the United States military, Gina, who was targeted for persecution and prosecution, who's, who's still trying to get his life back. And it's absolutely outrageous. Really, really crazy. All right, Andrea, um, it is time for something very special that happens here on Dr. Gina Primetime every day, and I'm so glad that you get to be a part of it. It is time for our meme of the day. <laughs> Now, in this meme, we have another compliant liberal telling another man that he should wear a mask even if he doesn't need it. The other man replies, you mean like carrying a gun? And if the compliant liberal has, of course, no response, that would be just like most compliant liberals. Andrea, carrying a gun makes me feel safer even if I don't need it. So maybe the mask Nazis should understand that when they say I should wear a mask to make everyone else feel safe, even though I've already had COVID, and even though I can't give it and I can't get it, and masks don't do any good anyway, according to the Surgeon General and Fauci and the CDC a few months back, um, maybe they should just understand that carrying a gun makes me feel safer so I should carry it even if they perceive that I don't need it complete logic why can't they understand this Oh, you know, I wish we had a meme for, if we had a meme for every area of hypocrisy from the Democrats, from, you know, Gavin Newsom going to the French Laundry or or this mayor from, from Austin, Texas, doing a video from his hotel room in Cabo San Lucas telling people they shouldn't travel from coronavirus. You know, we could fill up multiple coffee table books with, with memes covering the hypocrisy. I mean, this is crazy. I, I, I'm old enough to remember these, you know, it's my body, my choice crowd. How many memes do we have going around about that and you know it and it's and it's concerning to me dr gene on seriously i mean the meme is hysterical and often you know the truth is is told best in fiction and 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 funny and humor um it's serious that they're trying to control us and that we've even had conservatives defending the mask saying that it's a matter of you know showing respect for people that they wear the mask well i don't think trying to force people into submission is respectful and you know getting back to that congresswoman she had her mask down right when she was calling for threats against people i think that was spewing more hatred that's more of a threat to anybody than the rona and so i think i think i'm going to continue to protect myself uh with the greatest weapon that i have against something far more evil than the rona it's an encroaching u.s government and i'm going to protect myself with my greatest weapon which is my remington shotgun 
<laughs> That's right. I've got to ask you because, of course, you and I became friends when I lived in uh, California, uh, close to you, and you used to come on my show, and I went on yours. I've got to ask you, uh, how does it feel to be there right now? What are you going through just as a citizen living in California right now? Well, my heart is, is actually breaking for the small business owners here. You know what? I, I'm, I'm blessed, Dr. Gina, um, because uh, we are considered essential in media because we've got a government right now that's getting away with picking and choosing what jobs are essential and what aren't. And I've got so many mm -hmm. friends of mine that are small business owners that are just literally being destroyed. And didn't we all yeah. see the video, the heartbreaking video of that business owner, that restaurant owner yes. in L.A.? We spent $100,000 to comply with this commie dictator out here for his outdoor dining requirements to her, to have her shut down while he gave an exemption to a right. movie theater, movie company movie to set theater. up outdoor catering. It's just, we're, it, we're Hollywood and the elite don't count, it, just like the politicians don't count. Andrea Kay, thank you so much for being with us. Again, we want to get you back on real soon. And thank you, too, audience, for joining me here. Everyone here, your new home for real news, the uncensored, undaunted, real America's voice, live from Studio 6B, up next with Damon and the crew. Hug your children, love your God, go boldly now, and live the truth.